Hello, everyone. First of all, I'd love to thank you for tuning in to the Integrative Thoughts podcast. I am your host, Matt Kaufman. And through this platform, I plan on seeking out guests that interest me, that I am curious about, and overall just living a more meaningful, purposeful life in hopes that you as listeners and I myself can grasp onto a little bit of their knowledge and integrate that into our daily lives. Are you having trouble losing weight? Do you get extreme food cravings, especially at night? What about the inability to lose weight even when you cut calories and do a lot of exercise? I know I fell into this category for pretty much most of my life. It's actually probably not even your fault. You most likely have what's called leptin resistance. Leptin is actually a hormone made by the fat cells that regulates food intake and energy expenditure by communicating with the brain. The more fat you have, the more negative leptin messages are actually being sent to your brain. This creates what's called leptin resistance and is going to sabotage all dieting efforts and causes food cravings even when you have enough fat stored. Introducing Zenith, this is an all-new, completely natural formula that gently decreases leptin levels to restore accurate communication between fat cells in the brain. Zenith contains zero harmful stimulants. It's made of all-natural polysaccharides and acetylated fatty acids, very safe for long-term weight loss plans, and it is made in the USA. In an eight-week, university-conducted, double-blind, placebo-controlled study, participants lost 21.3 pounds of fat, lost almost four inches off their waistline, and reduced serum leptin levels by 43%. So if you or someone you know, someone you really love is struggling with weight loss, head down to the show notes. I'll have a link there and a few videos where you can learn more information about Zenith. So listen, I've been experimenting with different types of minerals, especially magnesium, for the past five to six years. But I could never really find a product that I could feel the benefits that magnesium claimed to give. Magnesium is one of the most important minerals for all of human health. It participates in over 600 different biochemical reactions in the body, yet over 80% of the population is deficient. Magnesium deficiency can increase risk for all disease and greatly decrease optimal performance. That's why I like Bioptimizers. They use all seven forms of magnesium in a highly bioavailable form in their product Magnesium Breakthrough. Magnesium helps with stress, anxiety, sleep, immune function, detoxification, and so much more. If you want to try out this product, head over to Buy Optimizers and use code INTEGRATIVETHOUGHTS10 to receive a 10% discount on their amazing product, Mag Breakthrough. Today's guest is Hamid Jabbar. He is also known as the Mineral Shaman. And through his work with a lot of different sacred plant medicines and psychedelic ceremonies, he started to dive into minerals. For his own health, he got introduced to Morley Robbins' work, as I did. Started looking at things like copper and magnesium and iron toxicity. And through that, he started to dive into the research behind psychedelics and psychedelic ceremonies and how they actually deplete minerals. And so a lot of times people have anxiety and depression and trauma, and that's the reason that they're searching out these psychedelic ceremonies. When in actuality, there's probably a big mineral component to the reason that they have anxiety and depression in the first place. Now, psychedelics can get to the emotional aspect of some of the trauma and some of the things that you need to release. But if you go into a psychedelic ceremony in a mineral depleted state, 
it can actually be very, very draining on the body. So you might see these immediate benefits from this mystical sacred experience, but then once that wears off, once that honeymoon effect goes down, you might find yourself with more depression and more anxiety. And that's the reason people run back to another psychedelic ceremony without integration, without proper nutrition. I do not believe that these sacred plant medicines work in your favor and how you want them to. So you want to learn how to look at your minerals, look at the ratios, get some balance, get your metabolism working back, and then begin to microdose and begin to use these sacred medicines and get the experience that you desire and one with long lasting effect and one that doesn't keep you running back to the jungle or running back to your shaman. So I think this is amazing. I think Hamid is really studying a topic that very few people in the psychedelic world are talking about. And that is the component of minerals and how they affect psychedelic experiences and psychedelic outcomes. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show with Hamid Jabbar, the mineral shaman. Hamid, welcome to the show. How are you doing, brother? I'm well. Thanks for having me, Matt. Finally. Yeah. Finally upon us. <laughs> Absolutely. I've been actually really, really looking forward to this because it's like, it's such a like, rabbit hole esoteric style of uh information that you kind of put out and you're almost like an artist or a poet in the way you articulate it uh with within social media and on your website kind of relating minerals into like the cosmic realm and then correlating that over with plant medicines and i really think that a lot of people aren't thinking about this and i wasn't thinking about this when i first tried plant medicines and uh, had Lyme disease, didn't know I had Lyme and all of the other things. So I really uh, think I'm going to enjoy this conversation quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different way of thinking about the same things. Mm -hmm. It's important because we've been, we get stuck in paradigms where we just keep digging in the same hole, thinking we're going to get deeper and deeper and no more, but we're, we're in the wrong area. There's no water over there. And so sometimes <laughs> we have to totally change, you know, the location of where we're digging and then we start to see, okay, that makes more sense. And so that's really what I've been trying to dare is just a different lens and how to look at things. Yeah, no, I, I love it. And um, I first originally heard you on Matt Blackburn's podcast and I'm like, this makes a lot of sense. And I had been diving into minerals, but before we get into like the minerals and the plant medicine and everything, uh, why don't you kind of give everybody a little bit of background? I know you kind of adopted this paleo style diet back in the 90s. Like you, you have a pretty interesting kind of background with your corporate work. Why don't you give people a little like overview of what got you here? Wow. Yeah. Well, I was probably the first person in the state of Texas in 1994 to become what later was called paleo. But at the time, there was no there was no term paleo. The term I was looking for a term. I was that weird kid <laughs> in high school that everyone's like, you don't eat bread. Like, what the heck is wrong with you? Like, and I felt so weird about being a, a foreign paradigm on the one hand, but then I had, I had really gotten into just trying to understand nature and, and how our bodies work. And so I was more into self experimentation and I felt so good as a teenager when I became kind of a hunter gatherer, that's what I called it. I think that was my first exposure to the fact that we exist within a world of paradigms and paradigms are groupthink. They're actually a form of, 
um, hypnosis. People are under these paradigm spells, whatever you want to think about, how you, however you want to think about it. Because at the time, it was like the food pyramid, and everybody thought that was truth. And, you know, it's really challenging when a new paradigm comes along. And I think we've seen that through the history of mankind. Like Copernicus comes and says, the earth revolves around the sun and everyone else, the mainstream is saying, no, you fool, look, the sun is rising over there and it's setting over there. Clearly the sun is revolving around the earth. You must be an idiot, Copernicus. And of course, turns out he was right, but nobody believes him. And so to fast forward through that experience, I did a lot in my life. I went off and studied music in music school. I became a lawyer, but I was always one of these kinds of people that was questioning things not out of complete skepticism, but just, I want to know more. Like, where, where do you come up with that belief? You know, I'd constantly poke holes in things. And that didn't get me very far in the, <laughs> in the default world. So at some point I had to leave and do my own thing. And I became a teacher of meditation and yoga and studying body work, studying more um, herbal medicines, a lot of work in Thailand and old medicine practices there and then in the jungle getting into plant medicines and so just kind of all over the place at the same time reading studies and looking at what's happening in the western medical system and the research systems but always with an eye to like wait how do you draw that conclusion from this you know this this you know people are making leaps of faith a lot of times in the research and and you can't just read the summary and the conclusion and think, oh, this is it. You know, you really have to dig in and, and take a critical eye. And so in the last few years, most of the work I've been doing is just trying to unravel more about our health and our consciousness and how things work within the body. And I think that has led me to a place where I'm, I'm pretty much past the paradigms that are out there. Like when it comes to how our cells work and how neurotransmitters work. I just don't think in those terms anymore because I think they're outdated. You know, they only get us so far. And a lot of that limited paradigm thinking has put us in a position, especially with psychedelics and plant medicines, where we're up against the wall. You know, the, the pharmaceutical companies were the ones who came up with this nonsense about serotonin and dopamine and how these things work. And it was to support their products. You know, they had products that were on the market to raise serotonin. So, of course, they want to say that serotonin is a happy molecule. But you see it today, even with psychedelics, you know, people have just adopted this pharmaceutical paradigm, which serves only the product that the pharmaceutical companies were trying to sell. They don't think about the other ways that psychedelics are working, such as through the change of calcium within cells and um, the movement of minerals in and through the body and how that affects our consciousness and our access to our emotions. So I'm starting to think of things more in those terms and it, it just seems to provide a, a lot of more, a lot of insight into what's happening with people when they're working with psychedelics, plant medicines, and why some of the traditions that existed in the jungle still exist and why they do the things they do and why it works for them and why it may not work for for Westerners. Yeah. And it's, it's not, uh, it's not that complex to really realize how different we are in our physiology and our state of health in comparison to if you are to go over to Costa Rica or into the jungle. I mean, they're just 
living off of the land. There's way less disease. I mean, they look a lot healthier. They're not working 70 hours a week. I mean, there's a lot going on like in comparison. But before we jump into just like the plant medicine part, I figured maybe we could break down, uh, like get into like, you know, just like why minerals are important, you know, what are minerals, talk about like the basically the benefits and what minerals actually are before we get into like how the plant medicines affect it. Sure. I think everyone remembers the periodic table of elements from, <laughs> from science class. And so sometimes we think of minerals, we're like, well, you know, they're good. We, you know, they're necessary. What we don't realize is that everything in our body is constructed from the periodic table. You know, of course we have sort of organic compounds, like carbon-based things, but then we also have copper, we have magnesium. These are metals. We have iron, you know, we have potassium. We have all these other minerals that are necessary parts of how the chemistry within our body functions. If you think of the body, you really start to notice that it's one big chemical reaction that's happening continuously. And it is the most complex chemical reaction in the universe, probably. We can't begin to understand how it how it came about and how it continues to to maintain itself and regrow itself but minerals are the building block of the functions they form the basis for a lot of the enzymes that are within our body so you think of enzymes are organic proteins and then there's little slots where minerals go in you think of them as sort of like the batteries the power enzymes and when we don't have the proper mix of minerals, our enzymes won't work properly, our hormones won't work properly, our cells will struggle to make energy and to clear the waste products, and we'll have symptoms. We'll have what the Western doctors call disease, but actually it's really just a symptom arising from some kind of dysregulation. Usually, if you trace it back, it has an emotional and a mineral component at the very core of it. And so a lot of the thinking in terms of minerals isn't just like, oh, I need to take minerals. It's really actually understanding that if we wanna heal something within our body, whether you know it has a name of a disease or it's just a symptom we're experiencing, it helps to figure out what's causing that. And what's causing it is almost always a lack of energy. Body's not making energy and the body when it can't make energy, it also can't clear exhaust, so it can't detox, detoxify. And, you know, mineral balancing, there's a lot of people in the mineral space, so I don't want people to think it's one thing. I get, mm. I get a lot of interesting people reaching out. There's a whole range of people working with minerals. And so I, I think that people also have to understand that it's not all the same. You know, when, when I'm talking about it or when people from the root cause protocol kind of community, which is run by Morley Robbins, talk about it, they're talking about something completely different than just a typical hair test person, someone who looks at hair tests or some people are trained in, in mineral balancing, but they don't come from that school of thought. So in many ways, minerals are the building blocks. And if you really want to get to the root of what's happening, it, it helps to understand what's going on on that level. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I've 
I've kind of been diving and I've actually through all of my different uh, Lyme disease protocols and healing, I, I've found minerals to be the most important over time. And I had always taken magnesium and knew the importance of that, but I just really didn't understand the complexities of copper or, you know, even selenium or your iodine. You didn't, I didn't realize, you know, yeah, I, I was, I mean, magnesium has all these functions in the body, some astronomical number. And then you start to hear someone like Morley talk and like everything copper does or Jason Hommel, everything copper does. And you're just like, wow. So all these minerals play a role. And you always hear people in the health space kind of parrot, like, you know, the body's electric, you know, electrical charge and do your grounding. And it's like, well, what about the, like the conductors? What about the metals that we actually need within our body to actually, if you're a battery, what do you think a battery's made out of? It has specific metals in specific ratios for it to be able to bring forth some form of electricity, right? And to function correctly. And I think our bodies in some way, shape or form kind of uh, react the same. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's, there's also this just societal consciousness. Uh, it's an intentional misinformation about minerals. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that because <laughs> most people, and this is generational now, so it's not just our generation; it's our parents and our grandparents. The knowledge about what we're supposed to eat what kind of minerals we're supposed to take in has been completely turned upside down since about the 1940s. The focus, you know, you just mentioned some things, copper. Most people that are out there in, in the normie world where they're not <laughs> thinking of these things, they're big copper. What the heck is this guy talking about? Because they're not taught it. But what doctors are taught is that iron is really good. We need lots of iron. You need to be iron fortified. Oh, there's low iron in your blood. You need to take iron. That brainwashing has been multi-generational now. And if you want to understand why people are magnesium deficient, you can trace it to the overabundance of iron because iron, when it gets into our bodies, is going to push out magnesium. You know, it's kind of strange to live in a world where everybody has to take magnesium. I mean, this really, it should blow people's minds because that doesn't, there's no other creature on this planet. You know, you don't see the deer. I live out here, we have deer. They're not out there taking magnesium and they're perfectly healthy. But, you know, they're also not eating an iron fortified diet. <laughs> they're eating their <laughs> normal diet, the diet that mother nature intended them to eat. So their minerals are well balanced and our minerals are completely hijacked by a, a food system and a ideological system that puts us at a great disadvantage. So those people like you, people that become aware of this, yeah, they're going to take magnesium. But, you know, the ultimate aim, I think, would be to get to a place where we don't have to take it, where we can lower the iron burden within our body somehow, where we can balance our minerals and get closer to where Mother Nature wants us to be. So I'm not there yet. I still take tons of magnesium, <laughs> I, but maybe in 20 years. <laughs> we'll see. Well, that's the interesting part is that um, you know, some of us are undoing multi-generations of mineral deficiencies, right? And that's where we kind of have to take the, take the lead and take the charge and try to remineralize our body so that we don't keep passing that forward. And if that takes a 
good amount of supplementation, I mean, so be it. That's just what has to happen because we're in such this depleted state. And then also the level of environmental toxins, which also tend to deplete more minerals. We're just kind of in an onslaught. So I don't know if we're ever going to be able to get out of supplementation because of the chemicals and the metals and everything that are so ubiquitous. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the other thing is we're living in a completely different world. So there's a biological mismatch, right, between our biology and our environment. The point you bring up about generational mineral, I think this is something that we should start teaching children. Because when I was a kid, everything was, oh, it's genetic, you know, or like, when I remember being a teenager and my grandmother say, you're going to go bald because, you know, it runs in the family. It's on it's on your mother's side and blah, blah, blah. And then so you start to think like, oh, that's just the way it is. Or, you know, you're going to have tons of gray hair. And I started to get gray hair when I was 20. You know, I'm fully gray, basically, at 43. And nobody told me that, oh, that's a sign of energy deficit. That's a mineral imbalance. I thought that's a sign. Oh, that's just the way it is, you know? And now I see people getting gray in their 30s and earlier, and we're just getting more and more depleted. So I think it starts with education, which is first, okay, baldness is not genetic. We've got to undo this programming. It's a sign that the body is lacking energy and it's a mineral issue. And if you want proof, all you have to do is go visit Portugal I spent some time there. You don't see a single bald person go to the Azores. They have full heads of <laughs> hair. But then go to the Portuguese communities in the United States. There's some cities like in central California full of Portuguese people, and half of them are bald. It's, <laughs> it's not a genetic thing. It's obviously an environmental thing. And you can see the same thing with the people of the Amazon. You know, if you go to more you know now they live within cities and they're showing the same signs that we're showing which is their hair is falling out earlier they're getting gray so i i focus a lot on the hair because the hair is like the canary in it I lost you. Yeah, it was it was kind of spotty on this end. So you, the last thing I heard is I focus on the hair because, and then it was like kind of started getting spotty. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think the hair is is just one way because it's an external sign that we can kind of observe. Okay, we're having a, a mineral imbalance. I think people, you have beautiful hair and <laughs> not a lot of gray hair, so I can tell them, you know. It is true that that hair says a lot about us. I, I think it's not just something to to think it's like an aesthetic. It's really a sign of health. And yeah, the more I dive 
into the hair, I think it's okay when you have such high levels of mineral imbalances and oxidative stress, why wouldn't the body let go of the hair first? It's not really crucial for survival. You can live another 60 years without your hair. So they're going to try to absorb the nutrients somewhere within the body that it needs most. And that's not going to be the top of your head, your hair. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. I wish I had discovered it 20 years ago because I think I'd have a full head of hair now. <laughs> like you yeah. know, one day, one day yeah. my dream is, you know, luscious hair again. Like just bring, have a bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to ride with my man bun for as, for as long as I can. We'll see. I'm, I just turned 35. So I'm, I, it could, it could start to go south sometime right now. I'm looking good though. <laughs> no, it's good. You're, you're, whatever you're doing is working. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, um, I want to talk about the soil a little bit. I don't think people also realize the other uh, reason that we're pretty mineral deficient and have been is that the uh, the soils don't just have the minerals like they used to. Can you speak on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think it's an easy discussion. You know, we've become a monocrop agricultural society i mean worldwide people are are basically farming in a way that grows one crop they turn the soil you know and i think people take it for granted that we're going to always have tomatoes we're always going to have these crops in our supermarket but that has really detrimental effects on the health of the environment the soil in particular is a reflection of the health of our environment and the soils over the last hundred years, I, th I think by all estimates, have had a 90% drop in minerals. And when the plants don't take up the minerals, then we don't get it through our diet. What's even worse is that certain minerals have become, they've overrun the plants, you know, like iron, for instance, is is easily uptaken by plants and so plants are taking up more iron than they ever have but they're not taking up any copper to balance that so the soil is is really important there's some regenerative agriculture coming back where you know farmers that understand how the ecosystem works are bringing animals onto the land to, to graze the land this is another thing that information is is really gotten people overwhelmed and there's this notion that somehow cows are killing the land or you know grazing cows or hurting the environment and these are these are incredibly destructive thoughts you know we had millions and millions of bison running through the americas before people came here we had the most fertile soil in the world and we ruined it by getting rid of the herds and putting fences up and tilling the land and, and trying to use fertilizer instead of nature. And so I think people are starting to realize this, some people at least, that the health of the soil is a reflection of our health. If, if the soil is dead, we're just eating something that's completely empty. There's nothing in it. There's, you know, an apple today is, is like, I don't know. I think you have to eat like 10 apples to get what <laughs> our great grandparents got in one apple. So people are hungry, of course, because our body's craving the nutrients. So people try to eat more, but you're not getting the nutrients from the food. And 
I'm not a soil expert, but I talk to a lot of people who are farmers and there's, there's so many different nuances to this. There's aspects of the soil's health that really play into the way that fires occurred in the past and how fire is necessary. The people were also burning wood stoves. That actually leads to minerals getting into the soil from the smoke and from the runoff from the water. And we changed all of that. You know, we're we're burning coal, we're we're doing other things, and so our soils are really hurt. But I would say that, you know, once you become aware of this issue, I think you can be more intentional as a consumer, you know, and stop buying things that are you know, big agriculture products, because it's it's really harmful for the environment and try to buy things locally, try to go to farmers markets, try to talk to the people that grew the food. And that will put you in a weird position because you're only able to eat seasonally then. You're not gonna get everything <laughs> every weekend. You know, it's like, it'll be a different food, different crop. And that's probably better for us too. I don't think we're supposed to be eating summer fruits in the middle of winter. Our body is not in the right place for that. And so just, just be aware, as you know, I think people will figure better if they start to be more in tune with that too. Yeah, 100%. Um, and also there's like this aspect uh, that I dove into, but I don't only eat seasonally and I still go to Whole Foods. We get trapped in there, but that they say like, you know, the sun's rays and the crops that are grown nearest to you, and then they hold on to uh, different, you know, photons of light and aspects of light. And then those have like signaling molecules within your gut microbiome. So there's like, and then you're getting the minerals within the soil nearest to you. So there's just like so many aspects that we've lost. And then people don't realize that the, the, the fresh food, even in like a Whole Foods, like those crops have to get cut early because they have to get transported overseas. They still have to look good for a week on the shelf in Whole Foods. So they don't even like let them get to where they're actually ripened because we're not going just down the street to the market like we used to and just picking stuff up a couple times a week. So that food, like it's almost better to get flash frozen organic veggies in a fr frozen bag that has more nutrients than the broccoli that's on the, on the shelf. Yeah. And less anti-nutrients. Because the mm -hmm. plants are really smart, especially when it comes to fruit. You know, plants have a lot of intelligence. They don't want you to eat their fruit before it's ripe. So usually mm -hmm. there's some stuff in the fruit before it's ripe that makes it really bitter tasting, makes it that animals won't eat it. The color will be different. Usually it's green. <laughs> and mm -hmm. that sign of a green fruit is like, don't eat me to almost every creature out there. And then right when the fruit starts to ripen, the plant will, will suck out of the fruit all of the anti-nutrients and it'll ripen on the tree or ripen on the vine. And that's the signal. But now, like you said, things are picked when they're not ripe. So the plant hasn't had the chance to take out the anti-nutrients that it puts in there too, the defense molecules. And then they ripen it with you know, gas or whatever kinds of techniques to make it look like it's ripe. <laughs> But I, the other thing is that, I mean, you're, you're, you're not too much younger than me, but I remember I grew up in Texas and we'd go to the farmer's market and you could buy in the summer, like watermelons that they were real. They had seeds, they were big and they tasted great. I haven't had a 
good tasting watermelon in years. And I think mm -hmm. people forget, you know, it's like the flavor of our fruit has changed. The flavor of the food isn't there. It looks like, it looks like a watermelon, but it just doesn't taste right. <laughs> so Yeah, I have a, of, um, a market right by me that is, is unreal. It's more expensive, obviously, but they, the watermelons are really small and the seeds are in them. It's like best tasting watermelon you ever had. And the bananas are real little and there's seeds in there. And I mean, just like the mangoes are like the freshest and it's all local Florida fruit. It's like a co-op type of thing. And you just basically can get whatever they have at the time. And they'll have like wild mushrooms in there and stuff. And every time I go there, I'm like, this is what stuff's supposed to taste like. And you know, you go to Whole Foods, I'm like, this shit is trash. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And it's expensive trash. It really is. <laughs> Yeah, oh. it's it's a interesting again, you know, just I think unless we educate people, unless kids these days try some of that fruit, they probably will never know what it's supposed to taste like. I'm actually concerned about our future because the younger generation will be taking care of us one day. And if <laughs> if they're okay with that bland tasting fruit that doesn't have any flavor and no nutrients, that's probably what they're going to feed us when we're dependent on them. <laughs> I don't want that. <laughs> we got to give all, all of our kids copper and magnesium and make sure they're <laughs> from the from the time they're born. Yeah, or travel. <laughs> you know, you leave this country, you leave the United States, and you go to some places and you taste things, and you're like, oh my god, that is that is fruit. That is the way things are supposed to taste. I, I mean, you have this access to local, you know, local places that, and Florida, I think is very ripe and verdant. So it's a good place for that. But a lot of the country just doesn't have it. The, the foods are, are brought in and, you know, I, I places like the Midwest, you know, when I was an attorney, I spent time in Detroit in the winter. It was like the worst. Oh, I'm, I was I'm from I'm from Flint, Michigan. I spent a lot of time there in Detroit. Uh -huh. I was looking I was looking for some kind of fresh something, you know, because everything was what are those things called? Coney's Coney Island. Yeah. And I'm like, like, can I get a salad? And then the salad comes and it's like iceberg lettuce, like pale. <laughs> the tomatoes are so pale and just sad and then like a bunch of ranch dressing on top or something mm -hmm. i thought that's the freshest vegetables we have in the middle of detroit in the winter yeah i know what a coney situation. island salad looks like it's rough <laughs> it's it's actually very sad looking <laughs> yeah it is sad but that that opens my eyes i'm thinking well i mean that's the best they've got here you know that you know, it's not like Florida, Arizona, we have a lot of citrus, you know, they grow a lot of things like that, but depends on where you live. Yeah, for sure. So how are you, um, after going through Morley Robinson's program, kind of like identifying, I know you guys kind of do the full Monty. Are you looking at HTMAs? How are you kind of trying to figure out what pe what minerals people are deficient in? Well, a lot of it is, is talking to people honestly you know before even i was doing a lot of analysis of the htmas in the blood i would just have conversations with people i can tell a lot just based on a facetime <laughs> on what people are lacking but we do use htma which is hair tissue mineral analysis 
it's a really good way to see how stress is playing out in the body. And stress is at the core of most everything that's happening. Not just emotional stress, but physical stress, environmental toxins or stress, you know, things like that. So hair tissue mineral analysis can be insightful. And then we also use blood work. The blood work is really the only way to get an idea of how copper and iron are playing out. Copper and iron are incredibly important if they have to be in balance. And the balance is, is not what people think. You don't need an equal amount of copper to an equal amount of iron. You need a very small amount of copper to manage a boatload of iron. But that balance, if it gets off, can, can really leave people with a lot of symptoms and a lot of issues. So the blood is the best way to do that for now. There's other ways to do it that we don't have access to. Um, doctors have access to, but they don't, they don't use those techniques. So, yeah, blood tests is the best we can do now. Yeah, and um, a lot of people don't really even know why the copper-iron uh, ratio is actually important and how we're kind of iron toxic. So why don't we dive into that a little bit, how, how copper actually uh, affects like the iron recycling system and all of that. Yeah, well, do we have a year to talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> a micro most... version. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of the most complex systems within our body. Our bodies are designed to hold on to iron. I think if people start with that piece of knowledge, it'll make sense, which is we don't excrete iron. We don't poop it out. We don't pee it out. The way that we get rid of iron is through blood loss. So if we bleed and you might get rid of a tiny amount through sweat, maybe a tiny amount in your hair, minimal. Um, and that is a fantastic system in a, in a body that isn't taking in a lot of iron. Now, what's happened is that in the 1940s, late 30s, they started fortifying our food. They called it iron fortification, started putting iron filings in. They doubled that in the late 60s. Everybody grew up eating wheat and Cheerios or you name it, everything is fortified. Now it doesn't say fortified, it'll say enriched wheat flour or hmm. things like that. And so people have to ask, start ask the question, which is if we don't get rid of iron and we've been taking in all this iron now multi-generationally, where's it all going? And the interesting thing is that anemia is one of the most common diagnoses on this planet. How is it that People have no iron and they're told they need to take iron supplementation when our food is loaded with iron. Where's all the iron? Well, this comes down to this thing called the reticuloendothelial system, which is a fancy name for an iron recycling system. We're supposed to be putting the iron into our red blood cells, which is primarily where it goes. And then when those red blood cells get old, they're recycled. And there are processes within the body that take the iron from the old red blood cells and ensure that we use that iron to make new red blood cells. It's a very complex system and there's a lot of moving parts, but we're supposed to recycle 95% of the iron in our body that way. And that means we're only supposed to get 5% of our iron needs from our diet. We need 25 milligrams a day 
which means we should be recycling 24 milligrams and getting about one milligram. Now, one milligram of iron a day is hard. You'd have to really struggle to do that because foods are filled with iron. Like that half cup of frosted flakes or whatever <laughs> cereal you choose is probably 15 milligrams of iron. Now, you compound that over years and years plus the iron supplementation that people have. You've got a lot more iron in your body than your great grandparents did. And most people's iron recycling system can't handle that. It can't, it can't deal with it. And so what ends up happening is that their bodies start to lose iron along that path of recycling and it gets deposited in different places. So they could very well be diagnosed as anemic which is super common. And people are told, you don't have any iron in your blood, you're anemic, you need to take iron. When usually what the, is happening is that they're overloaded with iron in their tissues, they can't mobilize it because the things that mobilize that iron, primarily copper-based enzymes, are not functioning. And so people are struggling to kind of figure out that dynamic and taking more iron doesn't cure the underlying issue. Now, copper is at the core of this iron recycling system, and copper has been depleted from the soil. It's been taken out of our diet. 100 years ago, people probably got about six to nine milligrams of copper per day in their diet, just from foods, just the, the way that the foods were. And now people are getting maybe 0.2 milligrams a day. There's very little copper left in the soil. There's very little copper in any food. And so over time, the lack of copper leads to an overabundance of iron, mismanagement of iron and disease. People also need to understand that iron is incredibly harmful when it isn't being managed. It isn't good. It is a, it is a heavy metal. It is highly reactive. It's highly reactive with oxygen. We can see that with rust in the world. But you have a lot of oxygen in your body. And if you have iron that is unbound, unmanaged, and it meets with that oxygen, you get oxidation, you get oxidants. So the entire game on planet Earth seems to be about how do we, how do we minimize oxidative stress? You know, I think everybody's heard the term antioxidants and it's become a household name. Like you need antioxidants. Well, we're supposed to make our own antioxidants. They're copper-based enzymes. So we're not doing that obviously. And then what's causing the oxidation? Well, it's, accidents with oxygen, mostly because of iron. And so we're in a bad position as a species who's decided to overload ourselves with this element, this mineral, which we need in small amounts and correct amounts. But I don't think people realize how much iron we have in our bodies that is not doing any good for us. It is just causing oxidative stress. It is feeding pathogens. It's causing inflammation. And so it's kind of this, it's an aha moment when people realize that, I think. And the question that becomes, why aren't doctors taught this? Why is the medical system still pushing iron on people? Can you imagine if the medical system came out today and said, whoops, we, we messed up. We shouldn't have put iron in our food. We shouldn't have given. Can you imagine the entire system would be bankrupt with malpractice cases, 
and all the faith would be gone. There's so many examples like that today of complete misconceptions in the medical system that will persist simply because if they don't persist, the entire system will lose everyone's faith. So it's mm. just keep keep that in mind that what I'm saying is not going to be supported by most doctors. And it, most doctors would have a challenge in describing to you the iron recycling system, the reticuloendothelial system, because they're not taught it. Yeah, 100%. That's beautiful. And I, I, um, I grew up eating so much iron fortified food. Like when I got into Morley's work, I was like, dude, I am probably the biggest ball of iron. Like I grew up in the like just poorest city in America. And I was like, my mom was always at work. And so like she cooked when she was home, but she like bartended and stuff. So I was just eating like honey buns and like, you know, you, you spoke about a half a cup of cereal. Like I'll eat like a whole box of cereal, yeah. like, because that'd be dinner if my mom wasn't home or like a box of mac and cheese and all of them grains were fortified more than likely, you know, and uh, it made so much sense. And also, I really like like Morley and Jason. They do a really, really good job, in my opinion, of like looking at older data about copper, like before the big pharma really stepped in and kind of like, you know, used money and corporate power to kind of influence where our science went. And if you go back to a lot of those older studies and read them, you know, I have Jason's book, I've went through Morley's book, you start to see that they, they kind of knew copper was a, some form of cure-all. And and I wonder if, you know, I asked Jason if if the, he thought that it was like, you know, on purpose and no one can really tell and no one's ever really come down from the mountain screaming, we should all take copper. So maybe they're he, like he says, maybe they're just too stupid to know. But um, it seems intentional and it seems like there are older studies that kind of show us that copper in the right amounts is, is some form of kind of cure all. Yeah, there's a bias in the research because copper and iron they're similar actually. They can both engage in something called a Fenton reaction, which is a, is a reaction that produces the hydroxyl radical, very problematic free radical. The thing is we have maybe 90 milligrams of copper in our whole body, 90 milligrams, but we may have 30,000 milligrams of iron. So even though they could both engage in that reaction, if they're unbound, if they're unmanaged, iron is clearly the culprit. But there's a bias because in lab studies where they're trying to do oxidation studies to see like how can we how can we see how oxidation occurs, they usually use copper. They give the animals copper to create the reaction. And I think a lot of people look at that and they start to think, oh, copper is toxic, copper is toxic. They don't realize that the amount makes a huge difference. And so a lot of things are being blamed on copper. It's hard to know when this began. The, the research was out there. <clears throat> there was a lot of research about copper and retinol, especially retinol is a vitamin, vitamin A, and how they work together. It's been completely lost. I, I don't know that, I don't know if we're gonna get it back either, <laughs> you know, the research industry is funded by big grants. The way to get grant money is to propose something within the existing paradigm that doesn't shake too many, rattle too many cages, that doesn't shake up things. It, you don't wanna be the guy that comes out and is like, oh, I just got all this money from the NIH and everything you said is wrong. 
like you can't do that. You're going to lose your lab. You're going to lose your graduate students. So all of these research endeavors, they tend to just support the existing paradigm. So I don't know if it's going to change anytime soon. But that, like you mentioned, there's old research and it's hard to find. One of Morley's gifts, I think, to humanity is that he's dug through things that are not on PubMed, that are not easy to search. And people also get this bias about research. I get people sometimes on some of the posts I say, they say, well, where's the research on this? I've searched. Just because you search PubMed doesn't mean there's no <laughs> research on this. Did you search every language? There's research being done in, in Russia. You can't search that on PubMed. There's research being done in Japan. Unless you speak Japanese, you're not going to be able to search those articles. There's, there's so many places where you can't actually see what's out there. So there's this narrow scope and people think that they're seeing everything and they're not seeing everything. They're seeing a very curated view of the world. And, and so, yeah, Morley's done us a service because he's extracted some of these old articles, some of them in German too, you know, and just try to translate them into English to see what was being done before the big hands of the grant industry, granting industries and pharmaceutical companies came around to influence the research. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with that. So let's talk about like how minerals affect emotions and emotional regularity. Have you found as you've balanced more minerals? Like I, I feel like I have some of the most emotional regularity that I've ever had after this last year of kind of diving into minerals and trying to rebalance and uh, remineralize my body. Yeah, this is why this is how I started to think about things in the plant medicine world too. But it started from this premise that why do we not feel right? Like, why are, why are people depressed? Why are people have anxiety? You know, what's going on there? There's always a, a mineral aspect that you can see. So I did mention that minerals form the basis for enzymes. If enzymes are not working, you're not going to make hormones properly. You're not making your hormones properly. You're not going to feel right. And that's going to affect your mood. There's a lot of people that focus on certain hormones, neurotransmitters like dopamine. And I think it's helpful to understand that, yes, dopamine can make you feel good. If you have a dopamine deficit, what's gonna happen is you're gonna seek out activities that stimulate the production of dopamine. So you're gonna seek out quick hits like your phone or fill in the blank, addictions. But people blame the dopamine and they say, oh, you're addicted to dopamine. No, no, no. What's really happening is your body is not making dopamine. <laughs> so your strategy is working. It's actually whatever that strategy is to get the dopamine is working, but it doesn't fix the problem. I actually I think we're innately supposed to be happy, joyous, curious, open minded, open hearted people. That is our nature as humans. <laughs> I don't believe that the way most people are is that way. And, <laughs> and so if you want to make more dopamine, you have to have the building blocks. Copper is incredibly important. Balancing your copper, copper is going to be at the core of making dopamine. If you can't do that, then you are going to be seeking addictive patterns just to self-regulate, just to feel normal. 
dopamine isn't the only thing. You know, there's aspects to our emotions that are really tied in with minerals. There's there's a fascinating thing that happens. You know, if we're not if we're not willing or able to feel an emotion, now this could go a whole different direction into traumas and how people experience life. Everybody's had small traumas. Not everybody's had huge traumas. But the trauma isn't the event. It's really how we respond to it and how our body and our mind handles whatever happened to us. Some people have minor things, but it's huge for them. And those traumas bring up strong emotions. Strong emotions come with what? They come with the release of hormones. If we're not willing to feel it, the body has mechanisms to kind of suppress that feeling that strong emotional feeling. One of the main mechanisms is by using calcium to kind of numb us. So we can get buildup of calcium in the physical body that actually prevents us from feeling emotions. There are people that I know, you know, I'll do consultation with, or I do work with, who if you ask them how they feel, they usually will say, no, I don't really, I'm, yeah, I'm okay. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, well. Everyone's okay. <laughs> yeah, um, they have a hard time actually identifying how they're feeling, even if there's some feeling there. I do see it in the pet medicine world too. It's like people can't identify and I'll be like, oh yeah, you know what that is? That's an emotion. But see, if you're so disconnected, you don't feel it, you've got a buildup of calcium, it doesn't feel like an emotion anymore. It feels like an unsteadiness and anxiety. So our bodies will then protect us from feeling emotions by accumulating certain minerals. Um, and, you know, this, this entire thing changes our mood, changes how we relate, how we are. And some of the work that is being done in the psychedelic realm is actually just remineralizing the body. They don't realize that that's what's happening, but that's what's opening people to the emotions that they couldn't feel is by removing that calcium, for instance then they feel exposed. Then they feel like, oh my God, I can actually like sense my feelings. This is amazing. Well, when you start to release emotions, what happens is a lot of stress leaves the body. So your body is going to produce more of that, the hormones that are non-stressful. You'll get more dopamine. You'll get more of the happy, the happy molecules. It all comes down to minerals in a way. I'm not saying minerals are the cause. Sometimes they're just a mechanism in which our body uses to protect us or to allow us to survive. Calcium to me is like cement, you know, it's like hmm. a cast. And I think this goes back even before I was talking about this, but there's a lot of discussion about calcification of the pineal gland. I mean, anybody that's in the spiritual world has heard that. And that if your pineal gland gets calcified, you're not going to experience higher states of consciousness. You're going to experience much more of a, a limited range of daily awareness, probably more in the level of fight or flight or survival. Well, it's not just the pineal gland that gets calcified is everything gets calcified. <laughs> if the pineal gland is calcified, you've got some calcification in other places. And people, I think, believe that our brains are storing our emotions. And it isn't necessarily the case. The calcification builds up in the body to store emotions, to hide emotions away. 
that we're not ready to feel, which is why there's a lot of somatic practices that work with the emotions, like yoga or body work. <clears throat> and then you see people working with breath work now a lot, which changes the calcium dynamics and it rips open that shell and tears start flowing. And it's, it's a mineral thing <laughs> at its core. But yeah, there's so many, there's so many interesting aspects to our mood and how we feel. So when you start to balance your minerals, then you don't do these weird things. You don't build up shells. You're going to make more dopamine. So you're more easily, you know, just without stimulation, you're okay. You don't need to go grab some kind of substance or seek out addictive patterns. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, I, um, I really feel that people don't realize how much these minerals really do almost help you process traumas. And I've kind of noticed that like when I started remineralizing, taking more copper and, uh, you know, even the selenium and the iodine, just like really getting into the minerals and trying to find what ratios work for me, that like my dreams for the first longest time, I'd have dreams about people from high school, middle school, like childhood, the the thoughts that would uh, my mind would race a little bit because I think maybe I was, you know, I don't know if I was detoxing metals or what was going on in the beginning. Like uh, I had a lot of thoughts of like old, old girlfriends and old past relationships, whether it be friendships, you know, and it was it was it was very bizarre. And, I, and I'm like, this is you have to really have some discernment because it can kind of make you angry and moody and you have to be able to detach from that and realize that it's like a healing opportunity basically. But it, it, it's, it was almost like a form of therapy. It was crazy. It's amazing that you had the insight because a lot of people will go through that experience, not understanding that what's coming up for them is the release, mm -hmm. the processing of the thing that they had failed to process. And it's fascinating, you know, traditional Chinese medicine has views about this, how the liver stores anger, for instance. Well, it's not the liver storing the anger, it's that the calcifications and the iron deposits in the liver or the stones, that's what our body does when we don't express anger, it creates those. So then if someone does a cleanse where that comes out, they're so angry. I've done this mm -hmm. and I, I mean, I, I found myself I was walking my dog and somebody made a comment. I was doing a cleanse, like just a neighbor. I just heard their voice and I was like, in my head going, you mother, you know, like, and then I'm like <laughs> laughing and I'm like, why am I so upset? I'm like, oh my God, that's so crazy. Cause it's this anger coming out of my liver and I'm not that type of person usually, but then I was like, oh wow, there's like some anger coming out. And the dreams and the, the way that the body detoxes is incredibly fascinating. And people, I, I think, experience this sometimes. They don't understand that it's part of a healing process, that the glymphatic system, which is the cerebral spinal fluid goes up and it bathes the brain. Our, our brain is constantly bathed in the cerebral spinal fluid. Well, it has to drain and it drains down in, in the middle of the night. Now, if you're going to heavy metal cleanse and your brain is being cleaned out and you happen to have this happening, it's it could be a completely psychedelic experience in and of itself. Now, sometimes people wake up, they're not fully awake, so they experience sleep paralysis or some kind of feeling like 
there's an entity, you know, but really what's happening is the brain is detoxing, processing, and a lot of memories will come up with that, like you've experienced, where it's like that one event did something, it got stuck, your body did some kind of thing to store it, and then you experience it as it comes out. So yeah, it's it's fascinating. One of the, the main researchers on hair tissue mineral analysis name is Rick Malter. A lot of people in the space of doing hair tissue mineral analysis have studied with Rick Malter, but he's a, he's a psychotherapist. <laughs> mm -hmm. So he got, he got into hair mineral analysis because actually this is one way of really working with people on the emotions and the psyche. It, it's, it's all intertwined. Yeah, I I think maybe what helped me is because I, I did a lot of like when I first was sick, I I thought that it was like I knew I had a lot of mercury fillings growing up and I was like, you know, I used to be addicted to alcohol and drugs. So I was like, I, I have to have some form of like heavy metal. So I kind of dove into that realm for quite a bit. And I came across a really good article that I usually send people if they're starting to remineralize or uh, do some form of chelation or any kind of detox. And it's by Wendy Myers. Um I think it's called like healing reactions or something. And it basically labels off all of these, what people would call her timers or whatever, but she kind of reframes it into healing, healing reactions. And it's just, it was like kind of all those things. So then once those things would come up for me, when I was uh, adding in the copper and all the different minerals, I would be like, oh, this is what she's talking about right here. Like, yeah. and you, ha it's, it's hard because the emotion is there. Uh, you want to get angry at your wife or at the cat, the cat pukes or whatever on the floor and you're, you, you get super triggered. And if you don't have a little bit of a, some form of like understanding of it, then, then you will just lash out. But if it's funny, like you said, like I'll get really angry at little stupid shit out in public or whatever. And then I catch myself like, all right, like you don't really give a fuck about that. You, this is just like what's going on in your body right now. But you you really want to say some ignorant shit in, in the moment. But you catch yourself and you go and then you like you have to laugh at it in a minute. You're like because you because I meditate and I do yoga. So I think maybe I can kind of come back to center a little bit easier than someone who's like doesn't do that and is going through a detox reaction. But um, it's very funny that it's but it's hard, too, because then sometimes you're like, well, maybe I can't even trust my emotions. Cause you kind of can't in a detox period. Cause you're like, I'm mad for no reason. So what if I'm sad for no reason? What if I'm happy for no reason? Like it's, it's very bizarre. And you kind of know that, know this probably cause you do the breath work and the sound healing where the emotions come up. And sometimes you're like, what the hell's going on? I just want to laugh or I just want to cry. And, and it's kind of like that when you're detoxing too. Some insight into people that are undergoing all kinds of, treatments for mood disorders, quote unquote, mood disorders, anger management. There's usually a physiological thing happening. The entire realm of psychiatry has, there's no testing. So I actually happen to be friends with a few psychiatrists. Everything is diagnosed by survey or questionnaire, you know, and they'll say, well, this person has this disorder based on these symptoms. They don't use hair tissue miller analysis. They're not looking mm -hmm. at heavy metals. They're not understanding sometimes that what people are experiencing is actually a healing process. And some of these processes, like Wendy Myers, I haven't read her thing on that, but I know who she is and I've read some of her other things. They can take a while. So it might not just be an afternoon where somebody's 
angry. It could be a month where they're incredibly dysregulated. And it is, it is a failure, I think, of our mental health care system to recognize this aspect. And I, and I don't know how to support people through that other than encourage them the same way that Wendy Myers does in that article. But if you're not able to discern, if you're in it and you're not able to discern, you can wreck relationships. You can absolutely believe that what's happening is being caused by the people around you. So it's not a, it's not for the faint of heart, you know, to go through these big remineralization processes alone and, and thinking that the world is, is, you know, causing your problems when it's really this release that's happening. It's in many ways equivalent to a ceremony. Like they have, you know, plant medicine ceremonies. Well, the nice thing about a ceremony is that it's a space where anything that comes up is seen as part of the healing process. So it's okay. But then you do some kind of remineralization and all of a sudden you're going through the same thing, but now you're not in a safe container. You're in your life. You got to go to work. You got to deal with your loved ones, your cat. It's hard. It's, it's, it really is. It's, it's actually really hard. And I think that's a big reason why people would rather just try to take some easy route and go get an IV infusion or go, you know, whatever Myers cocktail or take some NAD and they're just looking for this quick fix. And it's, it's really a balancing act of, of, of maybe years for me, years for sure. And I would I mean, I was a lot worse than most people. I had lime, mold, metal. I mean, I had a, just a, I had everything you could think of. I had every symptom that anyone talks about. I had them all, but, and it's taken years to balance it back out. And I'm still working on a little bit of brain fog and, you know, still spending quite a bit of money on specific supplements and herbs to kind of work with that. But I'm pretty close to the, to the finish line, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, uh, people also don't trust, they don't trust their emotions. And I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that our emotions have to be believed. It's not about truth. Like when you're, when I'm angry at the guy across the street for something that they didn't do, you know, it's not that I'm true. I'm not right. I, but I trust that my emotion is part of a process within the body. It's part of a process that my psyche is going through as a healing process. And we've been conditioned from an early age to not trust our emotions in that way, to kind of fear them. Like, you know, we, we get reprimanded if we're behaving poorly when we're a kid or we're making a scene, you know, it's like not here, not now, don't make a scene. You know, a lot of times our emotions are taught to us as very inconvenient. So if we start to experience that as part of a healing process, a lot of people are just conditioned to not, not go there. They, they think this is a bad result. And so they want to shut it off. They want it to stop. They want the, the off button, you know, like this isn't working. And what's interesting is, you know, you've had the experience, but once you go through it, it's like, oh, wow, I've, I've actually cleared something. It doesn't mean there's nothing left, but I got through something and I'm onto the next level versus just keep suppressing it for a lifetime. Yeah, I always say detoxification is actually probably the most potent spiritual experience that you could actually have. 
And yeah. I've had some I've had some bizarre ones we'll get into uh, in the plant medicine in the second half of this show. But I really think that the, de- the detoxification is a spiritual experience all in and of itself. Yeah, absolutely. It's just like it's it's a harder way. People want to just do the plant medicines and it'd be great. And some people do just get healed from because some people really are like relatively healthy and just have some form of emotional baggage. But a lot of us who grew up eating standard American diet have the emotional trauma and they're fucked like (laughs) from their health and their gut and their minerals. So it's like it's usually both. Yeah, well, they're 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 linked. You know, the indigenous traditions that work with plant medicines recognize that we've also been disconnected from our bodily functions. And so something like throwing up or having diarrhea, which could be a sign of a physical detox. You know, what what do they do now? Like people take anti-diarrhea medicine or something. <laughs> if they if their body wants to get rid of a toxin, why why would they try to stop it? Now, that says a lot about where we're at as a society, that people actually do that type of thing. Don't realize that by doing that, you're preventing both the release of physical toxins, but also the emotional stress that's accompanying that. But yeah, it's all together. It's, it's very much intertwined. That's dope. And I love I love that. And so now I want to spend the second half of the show getting into plant medicines because they've actually helped me quite a bit. And I'll kind of give a little background on my I started getting into, you know, I was addicted to drugs and alcohol. And that's where I found my uh, my connection and my source in my 20s, you know, and just worried about making money. And that's how I dealt with trauma until I moved to Florida and got sober. And I thought I thought everything was going to be smooth and and great. And I realized I was actually way more fucked up than I thought. And a lot of these drugs and Adderall and Vicodin and MDMA I was taking would, would, were just really masking symptoms of neuroinflammation and mineral deficiency and what are probably already had some mold and Lyme or whatever it was at the time. I probably was masking a lot of those symptoms with those type of drugs to be able to function. And a lot of cannabis, you know, I was growing cannabis in Michigan. It was legal. So I grew that all through my 20s. So I was smoking way too much. And all of that stuff was really just masking some emotional trauma and and also probably some uh, neuroinflammation and other inflammation throughout the body. So when I did get sober, I was kind of diving into some um, Tim Ferriss stuff. And he's the first one that got me to try like microdosing. I was reading Tools of Titans when I got sober. It was kind of like trying to shift my life. So I tried the microdose and I was like, oh, cool. And then I started getting into like, you know, uh, Terrence McKenna and different people are like, oh, take five grams and sit on your couch and all of this crazy <laughs> antics. And so I tried an actual ceremony and it, it was actually life changing. And I did those for like a year or two. And they really helped me process a lot of uh, childhood trauma and past relationships and helped me become the man I am today. But I found myself usually more depleted the next few days because I was already in this like chronic condition state that I didn't have a diagnosis for. I was trying to get some blood work done and hormone panels and, you know, your blood work would look fine. But then my hormone, once once I finally got like a saliva test, I, I had like no cortisol, like I was flatlined. I was fucked. I had just partied too hard, too long. And but so I, I got a lot of um 
a lot of benefit from those, but also would feel really, really depleted. And so I would feel called to do like another mushroom ceremony like two months later, three months later, which I wasn't doing it like every week. Like some people get uh, go a little too crazy. But so I was like, you know, and so when I came across your work, I was like, okay, this is the, the issue here that because I've kind of taken a step back, actually, the last uh, probably like I've done like one mushroom ceremony in maybe like the last year and a half because I, I, I was getting benefits, but I, I felt more depleted and I was doing my Lyme disease protocol and I really wanted to get more balanced. And I found a lot of uh, more relief really with combo because I felt like combo with the peptides and the detoxification aspect was kind of building me up. And then the plant medicines, I would I would have this mystical experience, but then I would be so depleted for so long because more than likely it was dysregulating minerals that I already had dysregulated. And so I would love to hear how you got into plant medicines and what your journey's been and what you've seen with like the mineral interaction with it. Wow. No, thank you for sharing that. Um, <laughs> I was never... I was never interested in psychedelics. I can tell you that I was scared of them probably for most of my life. I did drink a lot. You know, I was an attorney. I went through a lot of stress when I was an attorney and that was our outlet was happy hour and drinking. And I drank a lot in my twenties. Um, I think what happened is that by the time I was around 30, I had pretty much shed most of my bad habits because I got into meditation and more of a spiritual life. I left, I left practicing law and I was working more with sound and music and really guiding people in experiences that were, I wouldn't say psychedelic, but transcendental, just using sound. And it was through that work that I got introduced to plant medicine work. And for me, it was, it was a big catalyst for like the next stage of my own healing process. I think like I was ready for it. I had been for 10 years, an intense meditator and doing a lot of work that way. And so when I found plant medicine work, it was kind of like, Oh, this is very familiar in a way and exactly what I need. But I quickly, I quickly noticed depletion happening in myself. This was before I had really figured out the the mineral component of things. And and I I had this sense, like when I was first invited to an ayahuasca ceremony, they sent a diet, like don't eat all these things. And I can remember like, don't eat salt. I, I just had this feeling like, what? Like, what is this stuff about don't eat salt? <laughs> like, where does this come from? Why? <laughs> And I never really asked the question. I just went along with it for a while. And then even in the jungle, when I was finally doing initiations with the Shipibo lineage, it was the same thing. They just tell us about these things, but not really answer my questions, which is like, why? <laughs> why <laughs> do we not eat salt? Why can't we have meat? You know, what, you know what's going on? You know, this is a long story, but that is how I got into plant medicines. And then once I was in it, I really started to do what I usually do, which is ask a lot of questions that nobody has answers for. The, I, I still do this today just for fun, because some people will <laughs> ask, 
they'll they'll come to me and they'll go, what is this business about magnesium? You you know about you know psilocybin being dangerous if you're magnesium deficient. So then I'll send them a study, and usually this is the type of person who's a facilitator. They don't want to believe that this could be true because that would throw a wrench in their their belief system. And then they'll they'll say, okay, well that study, yeah, I see what you're saying, but that doesn't make any sense. Like that's that's not my experience. So then I'll go even further and I'll say, well, have you ever had anybody have facial twitching after a ceremony? Like maybe their mouth continues to twitch or their eyes twitch, or maybe they get numb. Maybe their their jaw, their mouth gets numb, or they have facial paralysis. Oh yeah, that's that's happened before. So then I'll point out to them, well, I'll say Google transient ischemic attack, which is a, a mini stroke. <laughs> <laughs> These are the symptoms, right? This happens way more often than people want to believe. And so this is just an example of like how I start to dig in there. But but for me, it's kind of like you. I was I did have experience with other substances, mainly alcohol. And I, I think that plant medicines really open my eyes to a different level of consciousness where I didn't want to numb myself anymore. I didn't want to stuff the feelings away. I'd rather just feel them. And once you start to enter that, I think it starts to become your norm and you're more interested in experiencing everything versus avoiding things. Plant medicine is a, is a, is a way of getting there. Now I know I'm using the term plant medicine like generically because there's a lot <laughs> of different plant medicines out there and they're all a bit different. So we could probably get into nuances and and combo I think people lump in the plant medicine world but it's an animal medicine. Mm -hmm. Right? It comes from a frog. So it's not not really a plant medicine. That that in and of itself is a very fascinating medicine that I think people don't really we don't know a lot about. We know a lot about the peptides, perhaps. We don't really know about the minerals, and I'm trying to find out about them. <laughs> I haven't found a mineral analysis yet. Yeah, I have. Um, I actually am releasing an episode tomorrow with this girl, Caitlin Thompson. I don't know if you ever heard of her, but she's kind of yeah, leading, the, a... leading the charge on combo and the research, and she's really trying to analyze everything over in uh, San Diego State University and try to get to the bottom of what actually is all the nutrition in combo. You know, I would like to know there's a there's a peptide and I think it has the word cerulose. And of course, like the blood is blue and blue is usually a sin that there's copper involved. <laughs> so I'm curious about like the naming of these things and I. I have seen Caitlin speak. We were both at a psychedelic conference a few years back, but I still, I'm still curious about, you know, how combo works. That, that may be a whole different discussion. I'll wait till the podcast, but I, I have a lot of questions about that too. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting, and in, in, I don't know if what exactly it's all. We don't know exactly what it's all doing. We have some research on it, but it seems to me to actually more build up the immune system through the peptides than having these other stressful seven hour ceremonies as far as like ayahuasca or a, a mushroom ceremony that are that, you know, they don't, if when you're having a mystical experience, you don't want to think about on the back end, like, 
what else is this actually doing in the body? And of course, it's going to lose some magnesium, I would imagine. I wanted to kind of ask you if you knew, like, do you have, do we have any research around like which specific plant medicines deplete certain minerals or are you just kind of going off intuition? Oh, there's research going back at least 40 years on mescaline, which is in certain cactus, like the peyote cactus or wachuma, LSD, which is not a plant medicine, but it's related in some ways to, to certain plant medicines, psilocybin, um, there's no research that I can find on ayahuasca per se, but that's a separate category in my opinion. Ayahuasca, I think, has to sit alone because it's a very different type of medicine. But we do know that psilocybin, at least, is very common medicine that's used by people, mescaline. It has a profound effect on our minerals. I mentioned before that the body will build up a shell to protect us from our emotions. And that shell is made of calcium. This gets really complicated because calcium should be on the, on the outside of our cells. But when we lack certain minerals inside, so when magnesium is supposed to be inside, leaves the cell or potassium leaves the cell, well, what rushes in is calcium, it goes inside the cell. That is the dynamic that happens when you're under stress or when there's an emotion that's being suppressed. And so people will get calcium going inside their cells. Now you take something like psilocybin, LSD, or mescaline that actually cause calcium to move in and out of cells rapidly. That process does disrupt magnesium. So we know you will lose magnesium in that process. You'll also lose calcium, but that's probably a good thing in a way. <laughs> because people are becoming decalcified in this process. And that's probably the reason that when you take those kinds of medicines, you're able to feel your emotions all of a sudden. It's like somebody took off the, the armor that was protecting you. That armor was the calcium. But there's studies showing that if you're incredibly magnesium deficient, this could have a different effect. Because magnesium is a calcium channel blocker. This gets into the weeds, but I said, when magnesium leaves the cell, calcium runs in. You don't want this to happen, really. And the thing that's going to maintain that is magnesium. Now, if somebody's magnesium deficient, they don't have any way to control the, the movement of calcium in and out of the cell very well. And that's when people that can take one of those medicines might have a mini stroke. They'll have vasoconstriction. What, you know, what people are prescribed by the medical system, if they have high blood pressure, for instance, is calcium channel blockers. We know that calcium channel blockers prevent that high blood pressure from turning into a stroke. It's one of the most prescribed drugs. But what doctors don't tell you is that you're supposed to have magnesium. That's supposed to be your natural <laughs> calcium channel blocker. And so high blood pressure is a proxy for magnesium deficiency. So yes, there's, there's definite research on this with those medicines. There's also research with that, with ketamine. Alcohol does the same thing though, by the way. So it's not just psychedelics. And I think this is why you have to start to look at why are people seeking out the plant medicine in the first place? 
Now, your story tells me you're just like me. You were magnesium deficient, probably <laughs> also had copper deficiency. And mm -hmm. so you wanted to feel right. There's a, there's a desire. It's like, <laughs> I want to feel right. Like, you don't even know that you don't feel right. Sometimes you've been feeling that way for so long, it just became your normal. Then you take something like even a microdose and all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, this is, but that's probably how you're supposed to feel <laughs> all the time. <laughs> so it can be like chasing that same feeling again, but not fixing the underlying problem. And that's why I say we have to ask why people are seeking it, because usually they're seeking it for that reason, which is they're, they're minerally imbalanced and taking the plant medicine doesn't fix that. It just gives you the temporary feeling like you should feel. And then over time, I think it does deplete you. There's pretty good evidence that if you are not doing something to preserve the minerals within your body and you're working a lot with something like psilocybin, LSD, ketamine, mescaline, <clears throat> you're going to become more depleted of magnesium. Once magnesium leaves, you're going to have all kinds of dysregulation of other minerals happening. That's super interesting. Is there um, any other minerals that you kind of recommend to kind of like make sure you have in balance before a ceremony or do you think magnesium is probably the biggest one? This gets complicated because I think that it's going to differ based on each person and everybody's in a different state. So when I say magnesium deficiency, there's a range of what that means. Um, one of the main tests we look at is red blood cell count magnesium, so mag RBC. And I think people that are in the healthy range, which would be above a five, five is the US units. 5 to 6.5, people in that range usually are okay. Like they can work with, they can go to a ceremony. They're not going to have a major issue. But people start to drop below 5. They start to get further and further away from being able to manage the experience. And I've seen it personally. People in severe magnesium deficiency, they work with a plant medicine. Oftentimes the experience is too overwhelming for them meaning they're not able to handle it. And it could be more traumatizing in a way. It's not actually a good result. So if you're having experiences that are just completely overwhelming, that's also a sign that you probably are magnesium deficient. There has to be a balance in the body. I, I hesitate to tell people to do anything because Taking magnesium doesn't necessarily solve the magnesium deficiency issue. Mm -hmm. In fact, and I don't know who else says this, but me, you can make yourself more magnesium deficient by taking magnesium. And wow, this explain is that. Well, mm -hmm. magnesium is a, is a laxative in a way it, it, for a lot of people. And magnesium takes about 12 hours within the digestive system to be absorbed. So if you start taking magnesium and it's causing your bowel movements to speed up less than 12 hours transit time, not only are you pooping out the magnesium you just took, you're pooping out all the magnesium that is in your stool already. So over time, you can become more depleted. The other aspect to this is that our bodies find a homeostasis. 
So there's a regulation of magnesium largely based on how much iron is in our cells. And if our cells are overloaded with iron, we can take all the magnesium we want and it's not going to get into the cell. The body's just going to push it out. And so I know that we need magnesium and it's not, I'm not telling people to stop taking it. <laughs> I just, I have seen it where people go overboard and they're pooping every four hours. And then over six months, we look at their magnesium levels and they're worse. They're worse off. Better way to get magnesium is actually to usually increase your sodium and potassium. And that way your body will hold on to the magnesium that you're taking or that you get from food. So you'll, you'll excrete less of it. And one of the main reasons people are excreting magnesium is because they're functioning with adrenal hormones. They're, they're so used to having adrenaline or having aldosterone or cortisol as these things that help them through the day. And a lot of that relates to our mineral balance. So the less you can rely on the adrenals, when the adrenals kick out hormones like aldosterone and adrenaline, you're going to lose magnesium. So that's the byproduct. So if you can limit that, then you just retain more over. But overall, I think people have to start to manage the iron. That's the big piece of the puzzle that is not really well understood. The lower your iron is, not talking iron in the blood, but the iron in your tissues that's causing inflammation, the less iron you have stored away like that, the more magnesium you're going to be able to absorb and keep. And so the process for doing that is much more complicated than just taking magnesium. Yeah. And also, uh, boron, boron's a good cofactor for retaining magnesium as well, right? Yeah. Boron helps. I mean, you know, the, the, the things are found in isolation in nature. So it's like <laughs> people get focused on, I, I have it all the time. It's like, I was told to take riboflavin. I was told to take B6. I was like, well, those vitamins, they'll never appear like an isolated vitamin in nature. They always come with a range of cofactors. So boron is one that is, it should be in the water supply, should be in our mineral waters that we're, <laughs> we're made to be drinking from streams. Mm -hmm. And magnesium would have also been in there. So boron is super helpful. And yeah, it's not the only thing that's helpful. But the other way that I suggest people getting, like, if people are listening to this and they're going, oh my God, I'm shitting my brains out from taking magnesium. And he's telling me that that's making it worse. Well, you got to get magnesium through the skin if that's the case. Transdermal. So there's magnesium sprays, there's lotions, you can do foot soaks. I personally am a member at a float spa. I go float. You know, people. Yeah, that's a great way. People forget, but like, I think floating is one of the best ways to get magnesium. One hour and you're in 500 pounds of Epsom salt. It's like 10 days worth of magnesium you're going to absorb. Mm -hmm. And you're, and that does not cause a laxative effect. So it does saturate and it, it gets into your cells. Yeah. So you talked about, I suggest um, people focus. Oh yeah. So you talked about like experiences with magne with people being mineral or magnesium deficient, being overwhelming. Um, let's kind of touch on that. Do you, do you think that's like where some people 
uh, feel like they're kind of possessed or there's more demonic outcomes. Do you see that? And you do you, do you correlate that to a mineral deficiency? Yeah. I, um, yeah, it's related. It's related. I can tell you that the, the most magnesium deficient people I've seen, if they work with a plant like ayahuasca, for instance, those are the people that have incredibly unmanaged experiences where everything is overwhelming. They have no ability to discern discernment is key it's kind of like what we were talking about with the detox like you have to understand that the emotion that's coming up isn't the entire realm of your reality that this is actually a part of you that's being released it becomes difficult for people that are really magnesium deficient to discern and so they can easily start to point the fingers Oh, that person's energy. Oh, I was possessed by a spirit. Oh, so the, this attack, you know, this and that. And I'm not blaming them for that experience because I've had that experience. <laughs> I was not a believer. I am the most skeptical person. And I remember being in the jungle going, it's all belief. You know, you can't be attacked by these things unless you believe in them. And they would tell me like, well, once you experience it, then you'll know it's not related to belief. And then I realized what they were doing was programming my subconscious. Even saying that to me in the jungle was programming the experience to happen because our beliefs are subconscious. So they programmed that, then I experienced something. And because I experienced something and I had that programming, I was like, I'm being attacked. I, and I went like this for two years where I thought my fan was possessed. You know, I'd wake up in the middle of the night <laughs> thinking like, oh no, there's an entity, you know, things like that. Well, if magnesium fixes the issue, which it does, <laughs> then we know that there's some kind of component happening with minerals here. The more people work with plant medicines, the more they start to experience these things too. And that usually is correlating with their depletion of magnesium and their dysregulation of minerals. So the way out isn't to do more of the thing that's causing that. That's what they do in the jungle is do more, do more, make you more depleted. I think it works for them. I think it works for the indigenous people. And that's because they have a very different mineral status than us. But when you do that to Westerners who were already overloaded with iron, were already magnesium deficient, it doesn't work. And a lot of people leave long periods of the jungle completely dysregulated and trying to figure out what happened. And they're still thinking like, oh, the plants are punishing me or it's not that. They just became completely deficient and completely dysregulated. So I'm not I'm not judging this experience because I've experienced it myself, but I I believe it has a mineral component. This also is this all I just put this as a corollary too, because mm -hmm. outside the plant medicine world, there are people who are very sensitive, psychics, intuitives. These people are usually incredibly magnesium deficient. So it can be a gift, right? Like that level of sensitivity, if you're able to cultivate it and discern can be a gift or it can move further down into almost a form of psychosis where you cannot discern reality.
me. I know people like that too. And they are magnesium deficient, not because they're working with plant medicines, but because of a lifetime of stress and trauma, which burned through all their magnesium. And that's the gift of trauma was it made them very intuitive. But it, it yeah, there's, there's definitely like a spiritual, psycho-spiritual aspect to magnesium deficiency. And there's tons of studies on this too with schizophrenics and people that have these symptoms. They, they're incredibly magnesium deficient. Wow, that's incredible. I um I always wondered if there was like an aspect to a lot of these psychics or people who uh channel and do things if they weren't like grounded into this reality from some nutritional basis. So that's super interesting to me. Yeah, because in our society that is like a thing, like it is they're put in this realm. In shamanic societies, those people might become the shaman right because they have such a the veil is very thin for them they're lacking some of the barriers <laughs> magnesium <laughs> is a barrier it does actually help us discern you know this reality and other realities so i'm not suggesting that there isn't a benefit to being magnesium deficient and when I started to tell you about like the traditions in the jungle where they tell you, don't eat salt, don't do this. They're intentionally trying to make you magnesium deficient because guess <laughs> what happens when you're magnesium deficient? Wow. Then you're super psychic. Then you can talk to the plants. Then you can experience God, whatever it is. Well, that's a state of deficiency that can take you to that level. But if you try to come back to your life from that, that's where the challenge starts. The same thing with the yogi traditions where they do extreme fasting and limiting their food and they become so depleted, but then they're so connected at the same time. So it's a very fascinating thing to understand that, yes, the traditions, the medicines, they, some, they basically work in many ways by making you deficient. Wow, that's crazy. And it's funny because when I was actually like vegan and I was like microdosing and doing a lot of yoga, I almost felt like above and a little disconnected. But at the end of the day, I was hella depleted in so many things. But it, it felt like I was like airy and I was like above and my meditations would, would, were like super enlightening. It was, it was different than when I started, when I started eating meat and potatoes and I felt really grounded. And now my meditations are a lot more normal and, uh, even my psychedelic experiences or microdosings are way more chill than when I was vegan. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? I, I went through that with an experiment with veganism and I was so connected. I was so spiritual. I was so <laughs> skinny. I, I looked like I was going to die, but my, my insight, my intuition was spot on. There's something to it. Mm -hmm. But if we want to live in, our bodies in this world. And I think that there's a balance, you know, what I've discovered because I continue to work with plant medicines is the more that I'm nourished, the more that I'm not depleted. It's not that my experiences are muted at all. They're not. It's just that I have much more discernment. I have the ability to navigate both realms better versus just getting overwhelmed to the point where, Oh no, I need to do, I've got entities attacking me. I got, you know, these kinds <laughs> of weird 
they border on psychosis in a way. And I, I mean, that's, that's not a indictment of that state. I, I know it's, it's hard and I know people that go through it, but if magnesium and remineralizing cures it, I think you can do away with a lot of the stuff that they try because what they'll try in the jungle is to just blow smoke on you and do all these things. I'm like that, that works to a degree, but it isn't fixing the mineral imbalance. <laughs> you know, you gotta, you gotta get to the source. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, this is a super fascinating topic. It's interesting. So I want to know if like you yourself, it seems like you've probably done it yourself, but have you worked with anybody where like they seem to kind of have some struggles in their plant medicine ceremonies and then they kind of done some mineral balancing and then tried more ceremonies and had better outcomes? Um, I would say that I, I, I do consultations with people with the root cause <laughs> protocol. And there have been a few people that I've worked with who are preparing for plant medicine ceremonies because of their prior experiences that were very overwhelming. They actually became hip to this issue and wanted to ensure that future experiences would be better. And yes, I have people reporting like, oh yeah, it's so much better. It's I'm less overwhelmed, but it's deep and I'm connected. So I know that that's experience that happens for others. With me, it was a definite experience that happened. So just from living in my own body, you know, kind of coming out of the fog and being like, oh, wow. Like I thought I would never work with plant medicines again because I thought that's just too much. I'm, I'm too overwhelming. <laughs> And once I figured out the nutritional piece and the, the mineral piece, I think they can be really helpful and really supportive of the healing process. But it's much more challenging because there's not a lot of information out there for people on like how to eat and what to eat. And, you know, there's a lot of dogma about dietary stuff. So, yes, I've seen it with people. And I think that we're kind of on the we're in the early stages of this as well. There's, there's still people, there are people that come to me that are friends that work with plant medicines. And I think I may have been a little earlier to the game than them. So I've kind of like been through the stages. It's like, it's sort of like the people get into plant medicines, like the honeymoon period, right? There's a period of time where it's, you haven't yet seen everything and experienced everything. Not that I have, but you haven't experienced enough. So it's all rosy and it's all beautiful. Then there's a period, usually after you're depleted enough, where it can get really <laughs> challenging. I have people that I know that are like entering that phase and have been hearing me say things that are kind of like, oh my God, Hamid might be right, you know? Um, so we'll see where, where it goes. I, I think everybody has to try what works for them and and see. I'm not in any way suggesting this is a one size fits all <laughs> for for everybody. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a new like almost esoteric type of topic with not a lot of research. This is basically going to have to formulate over time with people's experiences and reporting back and trying to remineralize or get their nutritional status right of whatever fat soluble vitamins and all all it's not just, you know, copper and magnesium. A, a balance of amino acids and fat soluble vitamins and a lot of things that people need to get in order and 
I would imagine on some level they all play a part. Yeah. I don't it's definitely not a take some copper and go <laughs> go take five grams and you're gonna be okay. That's not <laughs> what I'm saying. It's you know, I keep going back in my head every time I, I dig into this to really just observe the indigenous people that I studied with, which are the Shipibo people and a little bit in the Andes, some people up there, but these people are so well mineralized that we have no conception for that. You know, they didn't have an iron fortified diet, so they weren't just loaded with iron the way we were. When they drink water, it tends to be fairly mineral rich. You know, they, they have a limited diet, but their bodies don't show the signs of oxidative stress the way that we do. Like I mentioned, I just vividly remember this 90, he must have been 95. He actually didn't know his age, this banana farmer <laughs> that was in the joint. And he would carry like 50 pounds of bananas every day to where we were doing our dieta. This guy had a full head of hair. I didn't see a single gray hair. I was just amazed at this guy's in his 90s. You know, most people in their 60s in the United States couldn't do what he's doing, climb trees, cut bananas with a machete and carry it. And... So these practices that the Shipibo came up with when they're working with ayahuasca, which is their main medicine, involve eliminating salt, eliminating fat, eating a very restrictive diet, which I mentioned, I think is in, intended to make you magnesium deficient. <laughs> That's <laughs> the effect of it. When they do it, it's not as though their body stops releasing magnesium, though. It's just that they go to reserves and I think their bones contain a lot more stored minerals than we do. So they go for extended periods of time on that kind of diet and they're not affected negatively. But then people from our society go there. We're completely on the edge. Everybody's already magnesium deficient. Everyone's loaded with iron. We try to emulate and do the same thing and it doesn't work. And then everybody ends up thinking they're possessed by a spirit or the shaman attacked them energetically or blah, 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 blah. Well, what did we expect? We are not them. And we followed a diet that works for them. So what I've been, I mean, this is for me personally, but I've been encouraging people to experiment with is like, try a different diet. You know, there's no reason that you have to adopt a strict diet like that to work with these plant medicines. And especially if you're already depleted, this may not be the way to go. And so I think there are people that I know that have started doing that and feel a lot, a lot better if, if they continue to work with the plant medicine. So that could just be a starting point too. Yeah, that's amazing. What, um, what do you think around like microdosing? Is, is this, is this going to deplete a lot of minerals? Obviously probably a lot less than taking five, 10 grams or something, but like, would that still cause some imbalances? I think it's, you know, people have asked me that everything we do is going to deplete our minerals. Like, let's say you have a cup of coffee, <laughs> like that, that can deplete salt your, yeah. <laughs> so is microdosing going to be like a huge thing? Probably not. Probably not a major drain more so than anything else that people do. But I think the bigger question is if you're already seeking the microdosing, then you know that you have a mineral imbalance. 
I'm just going to come right out and say that. Like, <laughs> because you should feel that way without the microdosing. And people don't believe me, but I'm telling you, like, substance free, you can feel euphoric. You can feel all of that. I think that's the natural state of humans. And so it's not a conspiracy theory. It's just the reality, which is we don't feel that way. And for whatever reason, whether it's the iron fortification, whether it's all the food, we've been kind of put into a place where we're seeking that experience. So yes, I, I understand the benefit of microdosing because it can get people into feeling the way that they probably should be feeling anyway. But it isn't going to fix the reasons that they're there. It's a crutch. It may also be a crutch that over time loses its effectiveness. If it does lose its effectiveness, you know you're, you're actually disrupted your homeostasis. And so I'm not a big fan of microdosing long term, but let's say like somebody wants to do that for a few days or just try. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There's, there's probably worse things people are doing for themselves. Yeah, 100%. And I, I, I've been doing it for years kind of off and on. I'll take some breaks and then I'll play with it. I like it for creativity and doing some work or trying to think around subjects or for these podcasts sometimes when I'm, uh, when I'm microdosing, I'm listening to a podcast. I might formulate some questions. It's definitely good for the creativity aspect. But if you're needing to take mushrooms seven days a week, you know, at a microdose level, then there's definitely some dysregulation going on there. But if you can go, four, five, six, seven days without really worrying about it or whatever, then I think you're probably in a, in a good spot and that's not going to mess you up too much. Yeah. Yeah. But if you, you know, you came, if you came to me and you asked me that, I would say, go for it. And without even looking at your labs, I can see you have really robust metabolic health, mm-hmm. good hair, good jaw structure, you know, but and not everybody's that way. Some <laughs> people, it probably isn't the best thing for them. Yeah. And I've had to work on mine, obviously, with the Lyme and everything. I, I wasn't there, but I've just spent every moment researching different different um, protocols and everything. Spent a lot of money on it to get where I'm at now. And now I'm good, man. I've, it's crazy. I like, you know, I can have some dairy. I, I had some bread last night with a big community. It was like homemade bread. And like, of course, I'm having bread with some butter and honey on it. Like you just make you just bake this for me, you know, and. I just, I can, I can handle that type of stuff. Now I didn't have any negative reaction the last like five, four or five times that I've tried bread and it's, it's insane. I wasn't always there, but now, now I really feel like I'm getting to a place where I can just kind of handle more stressors and, um, you know, the, whether it's microdoses or food, that's not ideal, just whatever, you know? Yeah. I, I think that's, that's a goal. Really good sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like foods that like you, you like eating gluten used to terrorize me for like days. Like I would feel it like like a hangover the next day. Like I got drunk or something. Like it was like still lingering day or two later, and now I can just eat bread with community and just not worry about it until I eat bread again. That's a really good sign. You know, it, it's showing that your body is not under as much stress, mm-hmm. and that's where you want to be. Not highly reactive to things. Yeah. I'm only, I, I still have some days where I'm like, I'm pushing the, the minerals a little too hard and I'm like, all right, I'm getting some detox effects, but it's, but it's, it's so much less than what it was. And 
how it is. And I, I notice the healing, especially with the foods. And even if I do have a couple like glasses of bourbon at, at a nice dinner or something, like I'm just not affected like I was when I was really sick. So it took a lot of time and effort, but I'm getting there. Cool. I got one last question uh, for you as well. And uh, I, I know it's, I thought this was a pretty cool kind of like quote I read on your website. And you say like your primary job is self-care and then you help others in your spare time. Can you sh uh, shed a little light on like what, what self-care looks to you like to you on a daily basis? Yeah, well, it depends on the day. I don't work a nine to five job. I work for myself. So I think when I, when I heard that book, you mentioned Tim Ferriss, like 10 years ago, someone said, have you read the four hour work week? And I said, that's too much. <laughs> <Four> <laughs> that was my reaction. Let me just so first of all, I am a very sensitive person, so I react to stress. And so I have to I have to limit the stress for me. Um I live in the country, so every day I'll walk my dog, I'll get some sun. Some of the self-care things that I really love are I go to the float spa. I try to go to the float tank a couple times a week. It's both for the magnesium, but also just a really nice way to decompress and meditate. I do spend time in infrared sauna, um, which I love. I spend as much time in the sun as I can. I'm not afraid of the sun. And just cooking for myself, nourishing myself. I don't eat out, so I think for me it's it's important that I feed myself and really like take care to I like being in the kitchen. I like that kind of nurturing. So my self-care is sort of simple. It doesn't really require a lot of things. I don't have a lot of external devices or hacks, you know. Just try to get my feet on the earth, get the sun, get good water, get good food. And yeah, you got the uh, basics down though. The, the sauna, I was just in it before the show and got some sun before the show, you know, clean water, minerals. I mean, if people would just start with clean water for one and get some minerals then they'd be doing a good job and quit being scared of the sun. And then the infrared sauna is really great for nowadays just because of all the toxins that we get bombarded with and you just feel amazing. You sleep better. I mean, that was probably one of the best investments I've ever made. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we didn't, we didn't talk about water, but I think you know, minerals and water are are huge aspects that haven't been researched well. And water, I think, is probably the most important thing. And our cells, I don't know, are you familiar with Gerald Pollack's work on easy water? Yeah, I've been drinking structured water for years. Yeah, mm -hmm. so our cells have, they have easy water in them. But, you know, Gerald Pollack realized in his research that one thing that happens when cells, or not with cells, but with water is exposed to infrared light is that it splits and there becomes a positive and a negative. So it creates a little battery in a way. And one theory, you know, the, the prevailing theory on energy production within our cells is that ATP is produced and ATP has a strong bond between the phosphate and the and that this strong bond is where the electrons, the electricity comes from. 
but Gerald Pollack is kind of challenging that and saying maybe, but maybe we also get energy from the water itself, hmm. which can store electricity like a battery when it's exposed to infrared light. So I used to go to the sauna and I used to go in the sun thinking like, oh, this is good for vitamin D or this is like helping detox heavy metals, blah, blah, blah. But I think there's an aspect to it where it is giving us more cellular energy. And that piece is still yet to be discovered. So I think it's really fascinating. But yeah, water, good water is important. Yeah, no, it's one of them. I had a whole show already on water from the CEO from, I don't know if you ever heard of natural actions technology, but it makes some great structured water things. I have Ben Greenfield's dad's system. It's like, see these super good filters from like Germany and like the Middle East where the water's really bad and they've made some good filters. And then it has like a flow form at the end to structure it. Um, and you know, it remineralizes, it does all the things. So it's like, to me, that's like the basis because we're mostly water. We're like water and amino acids. And that's like, get, get, figure out how to get some of that in and see how you feel. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, thank you so much. I thought this show was amazing. I've been looking forward to it forever. Why don't you tell everybody where to find you, how to work with you, all that type of stuff? Yeah, no, it was, it was a lot of fun. It's, it's not small talk, which <laughs> I appreciate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> At <laughs> the time, the conversations with people, it's like, oh, how's the weather? I'm like, nah, it's, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, thank you. Um, so people can reach me, find my work at mineralshaman.com. It's the same on Instagram. It's at mineralshaman. We didn't talk about other aspects of what I do. I also work with sound a lot and mm -hmm. do trainings and that stuff is at my personal website, which is hamidjabbar.com, which my name is a little funky, but I'm sure it'll be in the show notes so people mm -hmm. can find it there and people can reach out anytime. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I'll link all the both the websites and your Instagram handle in the show notes for sure. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Have a great day. If you enjoy this show, would you please take a second to subscribe, rate, and review it for me? Also, if you'd like to know more information about Combo, personalized one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, or for upcoming retreat information, which I host with my wife, please visit my website in the show notes or DM me on Instagram. My handle over there is at Integrative Matt. Until next time, my friends.